Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Good morning. How's it going? My name's Susie. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love being here on Sundays. I, um, I really love being here with you guys. I love it when I get to teach and be part of this with you. I love everything about Sundays, and I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed by that for some reason today, and I just think it's cool because I work at a church, and I like being here on Sundays. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. Okay. Do you all know what today is? Okay, we can go home. It's all good. Um, Okay, so the church calendar, this is the thing I love about the church calendar. Now, I did not grow up a Christian. I I did not grow up Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, no high churchness in my upbringing. So I don't have high church baggage. I recognize some people do, and I honor that. Um, But I just love the church calendar, particularly when it comes to things like Easter and Christmas and Advent and Lent and all that stuff. And I love the Book of Common Prayer. I love these like liturgical traditional things that some different traditions offer. And even though we don't practice those things collectively here at Journey, these are some things that I have incorporated into my own personal walk with God, and they've been so enriching for me. And the reason why I love church calendar stuff is because it's really kind of structured in a way that that we don't just let days like today and days like Easter Sunday and and even Christmas and stuff just pass by us. They really help us usher in the season and help us to enter into it in a way that we participate with it and we engage in it. And we're not only remembering, but we're observing and maybe even giving it an opportunity to hit a little different than it has in years past. And so today is Palm Sunday. And for, for many of us, like maybe you thought of it as or you heard about it being called Passion Passion Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week. Or maybe you even know of it as the first day of Passover. It's still today is the first day of Passover. However you have seen it, my hope and prayer is that Today actually is the beginning of an um, entrance into this week that I want to invite us into being participants of. Enter into the Holy Week, and, and I want to invite us and encourage us to like pause and, and, and take time throughout the week and reflect and not just let next Sunday come and have it just be another Sunday that we gather at church with a hot tub. Okay? It's going to be really fun. We're really excited about it, and it's going to be good. But in the meantime, what Palm Sunday is, traditionally, it's a day of, like, lots of celebration. It's a day where there was a parade in the Bible that we're going to read about, and it was a big deal of, like, shouts of praises and joy, but it was really the beginning of a very, 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 very dark week. And so to get to the other side of of resurrection, we have to walk through the darkness to really kind of let our hearts encompass it and not just remember it as a story that happened a long time ago that shapes our faith, but how is it actually shaping our faith today? Where are we in Palm Sunday today? And where are we in Holy Week today? And how does it affect everything that we're facing today? So we're going to talk about these two parades that happened on Palm Sunday, and I want us to actually acknowledge the fact that we still stand in the middle of these two parades that are happening. 
So um, before I go on, I want to tell you, just, I, I just want to offer something to you if you want to take it. Take it or leave it if you want. On the screens, I'm going to put up, or I'm not going to put up, David's going to put up. Um, these are two podcasts that I have really loved in the last couple of years. Um, one is Pray As You Go, and the other one is The Daily Still. So if you're at all interested in joining into this participation this week, this is a great start. Um, they're very short, meditative podcasts, and they, they, they meditate on scripture and what's happening in the week of Holy Week, and, and they guide you in a really cool, like, meditative prayer experience. And I've really loved them, and this week both of them are going to be in the Holy Week activity, so it's, it's great. And then the next screen are readings from Mark. You can find readings of the, the last week of Jesus' life, of course, in all of the Gospels. But on Friday, Good Friday, we're going to be in Mark. And so I have Monday through Thursday on there because I want you to come on Friday. <laughs> um, Friday, we're going to gather in this room, and, and we've created a, a sensory experience for us for Good Friday where we're going to meditate on the scriptures. We're going to hear them read through different voices. Um, and, and so that what sounds familiar, again, might hit a little differently. And we're going to have... Um, the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper. You're going to hear music. You're going to get to sing. You're going to see art. And hopefully, like, all of your senses will kind of come in tune into this space of being with Jesus on Good Friday. So so that's that. Um, and so now we're, we're into Palm Sunday. And before we get to the Jesus Parade, I want to tell you about this other parade that I grew up going to, the Tournament of Roses Parade. Anybody watch that? Yeah. So fun. You get up in the morning on New Year's Day and you watch the Rose Parade and you maybe watch the football game afterwards and it's super fun, right? Well, what, if you didn't grow up in L.A., particularly in Pasadena, you may not know everything that goes on underneath the Rose Parade. I mean, you just wake up and you see all these pretty floats going by on TV and that's great. But I'm here to tell you about the Rose Parade, okay? So it's a rite of passage basically, when you grow up in L.A. to go to the Rose Parade and maybe even spend the night. So when I was in eighth grade, I got invited by my friend and her mom to go and do that. And so you go and you stake your land and, and you bring your sleeping bag and your warm clothes because it's freezing in L.A. on New Year's Eve, freezing, like 65 degrees. And so you put on all your layers and you've got your hot chocolate or your coffee or whatever warming drink you might have. I was in eighth grade hot chocolate it was. So, and, and you're there all night, and there's hundreds of people lining up the streets. The streets are closed. The whole parade path is closed, and everybody's there trying to get their spot with their friends, and it's just a big party. And lots of people do it year after year. For me, one and done. I've done it. I can say I lived through it, and it was great. Never want to do it again. But it's really fun to try it. And if you live in Pasadena, it's an even bigger deal because this is your home. This is the street, and it's kind of like the, um, the, the thing that the whole community comes together and does. There are 900 volunteers at least involved in the Rose Parade, and people prepare for the Rose Parade for at least a year and up until years to, prior to it. So you've got the, the queen, the Rose Queen and her court. They apply the year before, and they get chosen, and they have all these activities. And, but then you have people who for generations, I'm not kidding, for generations have been... Um, volunteering for the Rose Parade, and there are different, like, levels of volunteers, like prestigious volunteer positions, and then there's, like, 
the not so prestigious, which is the person that kind of goes with a broom picking up the poop from the horses on the the parade path. But your goal is to keep volunteering so that you can like get one of these like highly coveted volunteer positions and nobody gets paid. And then there was a guy here at the last service that just moved here from California. I know, big shocker. But he was a sheriff in, in LA and he said there were 1,200 sheriffs that were officers that were deployed for the Rose Parade too. So, so much goes on behind the scenes of, of the Rose Parade. So, I'm just telling you that because I think we come to church on Palm Sunday and we remember the story and it's very familiar to us and we even read it on the pages of scripture, but sometimes we miss all that's underneath the Palm Sunday parade. We miss all of the tension. We miss all of the, the scandal. We miss the potential chaos and we overlook the things that, um, that we, we may not have noticed before. So my hope and prayer is today as we open the word that we would notice things that we haven't noticed before. And again, it might hit a little different. So all four of the gospels talk about the last week of Jesus's life. They all talk about the triumphal entry as it's known. Um, I couldn't decide which one, so we're gonna actually read all of them. Um, just kidding. Um, I'm not Mike. <laughs> um, we're going to read actually in, in, um, in Matthew, but we're going to pull in from the other accounts as well, because I want to paint for you a whole big picture of what happened there, and, and hopefully, um, hopefully you'll be able to, to see it differently. So, so three things just to set it up for you. Um, once again, it was the first day of the Passover festival. This is, it was and still is the most sacred holy week in, in, in the Jewish calendar. So Jews celebrate Passover because they're celebrating their exodus, the um, deliverance from Egypt, and, and the formation of Israel as a nation. And Jewish people take their festivals and their celebrations very, very seriously. There's certain foods that you eat, certain types of celebrations, and the gatherings take a lot of thought and preparation. On this particular Sabbath that we're going to read about in the Bible was particularly important because this one, Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet of Nazareth, the son of David, as he was known, the one who'd been gathering crowds and healing the sick and performing all these miracles, he was coming. And so this term, son of David, when people would call him the son of David, that was like a, a, a term that was loaded with nationalistic expectation. It was a fulfillment of a prophecy for sure, but it was also like son of David is coming into the the city of David, and he's going to turn this whole thing upside down, and there was all this expectation from a nationalistic standpoint of what he was going to do. And then the third thing I want you to um, keep in mind is that Rome was also preparing for this festival because they just always extra prepared when the Jews would gather for their festivals because most Jewish festivals have to do with freedom and liberation, and the Romans did not want the Jewish people to get excited about their freedom and liberation. And so there was all kinds of preparation on their part to, to meet any kind of resistance that they might come up against. So starting in Matthew, I want you to pay attention to two particular things. Pay attention to Jesus, what is said about him, what he says, feelings, emotions. And then the second thing is notice the crowds because we are the crowd. Okay, beginning in Matthew, 
Actually, in chapter 20, in verse 29, this leads up to the entry. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, and he, he asked them, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our sight, they answered. Well, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and they followed him. So notice here this question, what do you want me to do for you? This is a question of participation. Normally, when we see Jesus healing in in the Bible, we hear him healing and meeting someone's physical need, but it's always attached to an invitation to join him, to follow him, to go and tell, to participate in the kingdom of God that he was announcing. So the healing doesn't stop with what happens physically and spiritually. It's accompanied by this invitation to carry forth with him. Okay, it continues. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Notice the precise instruction, the intentionality, and the premeditation that must have taken place for Jesus. It goes on to say, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Matthew, remember Matthew, he writes from a very Jewish perspective. He does not remove the Jewishness of Jesus from his writings. We tend to see Good Friday, Easter, Palm Sunday through very Christian eyes, and he's not detaching Jesus' Jewishness from him or the Jewish culture and Jewish traditions and even the, the, the whole thing from him. So this, that little piece that we just read, those two verses, came from a prophecy in Zechariah from hundreds of years prior that was being fulfilled. And I want to read actually the, the bigger chunk of it. It's five verses so that you see why this, when they say this took place to fulfill, so you see what kind of expectation was building up. So in Zechariah 9, starting in verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. And that word victorious, in the NASB translation, it says, endowed with salvation. So he was coming to save, not just spiritually, but he was, the, the expectation was that he was coming to save also physically, tangibly, with their needs right then and there. Because it says, uh, uh, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. So can you feel that expectation, what that would feel like if this is what you had in mind for a a prophecy that was being fulfilled right now? 
Well, he goes on in verse 6, Matthew does, 21 verse 6. He says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Now, if you don't know, Hosanna means God save us. And it, it means it in a very urgent sense, like God save us now. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, from the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Mark takes it a little step further in, cha in chapter 11, verse 11. He ends this section with Jesus entering Jerusalem and going straight to the temple courts, because what happens tomorrow, Monday of Holy Week, is he goes and he, you know, he, that's when he turns the tables in the, in the temple, and he prophesies over it and all that stuff. But he says, Jesus went straight to the temple courts, and he looked around at everything, and then because it was already late, he left with the others to go to Bethany. Luke and John take it, expand our vision for it a little bit further by bringing in the response of the crowds and the Pharisees. In Luke 19, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, make them stop. And Jesus answers, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. He's saying, even if they stop, even if they're quiet, you cannot stop what's about to happen. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. And he said, even you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. John chapter 12, verse 16 expands it a little bit more. He says, at first, his disciples didn't understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So right before this, shortly before this, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and people were talking about this, and, and, and the, the word was being spread. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So notice Jesus and notice the crowds. The crowd is full of joy and exuberance and hopeful expectation. They're chanting, Hosanna. They're so excited. And Jesus ends up in tears. And within the crowd, there's these Pharisees that feel threatened by his way. They feel threatened by his power. They're threatened by his influence. They're threatened by the fact that when he shows up, he heals people in humility to the point where they're yelling at him and telling him to stop and make your disciples stop. 
And so on a Sunday, when we celebrate with, you know, I don't know if you, you grew up in a church where, like, you celebrate with the kids' procession, and, and they've got the, the palm fronds, and they sing Hosanna, walking down the aisles. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love me a Jesus parade. My friend Lisa's here, and we led Jesus parades with kids for many years, and it was really fun, especially when, like, there's one, that one kid that, you know, whacks the other kid with his palm frond, and it's hilarious, right? It's super cute, and it's super fun, right? And we love it. We love to hear kids singing Hosanna. But at the same time that this was happening in real time, when all these people were full of joy and exuberance and hopeful expectation, Jesus' response is to weep. He, he'd been trying to teach his disciples that, that the whole reason for them coming to Jerusalem was for him to go and die. He was coming to grips with what, what was about to happen to him. He was mourning and grieving the fact that they just didn't see it yet. And he was feeling it in his body. The Savior of the world, God, came down in human flesh and he felt the pain in his body to the point of tears. And so, meanwhile, while this is all happening, there's a whole nother parade happening at the same time. So to add a little bit of color through history, imagine yourself in Jerusalem. You've got Jesus coming down on the donkey on the east side, and on the west side, there's Governor Pilate coming into town because he knows this festival is happening, and they're bringing in the reinforcements, and there's lots of people gathered in Jerusalem, and they want to keep the peace. Not because they want to enter into the celebration with the Jews, but because they want to show intimidation, they want to show power, they want to show strength, and they want to keep the Jewish people in their place. So Governor Pilate comes in with this display of power, and you hear the noise of war horses and, and, and a regalia of soldiers with their armor, their shiny armor, and their clanking swords and spears and shields and all those things that I picture in the movie Gladiator coming to life, and it's beautiful. And, and what they're doing is, is they're, they're keeping this, protecting this Pax Romana, this, this peace, this, subver this image of peace that's really brought in with violence and oppression. They come in as, as crowd control, their version of law and order, um, trying to keep everybody in their place. So what, what else do you guys see? What observations do you see? What questions do you have? before we move on. Last service, I got yelled at to repeat, not yelled at, talked to, about repeating the question because I didn't repeat the question. So, no questions? Okay. Well, what does this mean for us on this particular Palm Sunday? I want you to, like, Take a breath and picture yourself being there. Picture yourself in the crowds in Jerusalem. The story says that Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives. So you, you look up to the east and you see coming down this Jesus that everybody's talking about. And he's on a donkey with nothing fancy and all these peasants throwing their cloaks on the ground there's no swords, there's no shields, there's no spears, there's no intimidation, there's no prestige. 
And on the other side, to the west, we see the glitter of kingdom and empire and influence and power and wealth. And like the Romans and like the Jewish people of the day, we stand between two parades every day. Every day. I mean, how often do we find ourselves tempted by the magnificence of empire's parade? It's filled with music, which brings us together and makes us feel like we're part of a larger whole. Um, it's filled with dramatic imagery and, and, and of power, and it makes us feel good that we have a common enemy and that we're the strongest, the fiercest, the bravest, the greatest on earth. And the peasant parade invites us into this procession of those who love their enemies who pray for those who deliberately mean them harm. It's a parade of people that leads us to forgive those who have wronged us and refuse to grasp for power. It's a parade that reminds us that the way down the mountain is actually the way up. It's a parade that reminds us that the way to wholeness is surrender and not conquering our foes. And this is like, I mean, we talk about this stuff all the time at Journey, right? We, we juxtapose both of them all the time at Journey. So we're used to hearing this. But I, I just think that sometimes on the one hand, we see what we think we want. We see this humble king riding on a donkey representing the peasants, the marginalized, the lowly. We find ourselves there. The donkey itself is this act of resistance against the war horse of, of the Roman Empire. And... And we see Jesus exposing the power of the Roman Empire because really he's the one who holds all the power, right? I mean, later on in the week when we read about Jesus being arrested, they come and they arrest him and they ask him who he is and they say, Jesus, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. And they all fall to the ground. And Peter takes his sword, and he uses violence, and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers, and, Je and Jesus tells him to stop, and he puts his hand on his ear, and he heals him. He heals the ones who, who are meant to bring him harm. And so he's, he's kind of making a mockery of, of them by coming down with this donkey. He's making a mockery of the whole thing, of their power, because on the one side, we see human strength, and on the other side, we see divine strength, humble strength. It's two different tones, two different approaches. And so as we stand in the middle of Palm Sunday in 2022, as participants of the kingdom of God, bearing witness to Jesus embodying the kingdom of God, desiring ourselves to embody the kingdom of God, it's important that we take a moment and ask ourselves the question, which parade are we really compelled by? Which parade are we really drawn to? Which one do we see ourselves in? In very practical terms, I mean, not, you know, it was a really bad time for the Jews. The taxes were unbearable. Oppression and injustice were at an all-time high, and it was everywhere. The rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer, and their land was occupied by this Roman Empire. So they were under the impression that their son of David that was coming was going to overthrow the chariots and war horses and overthrow the oppression of Rome. 
that he was going to come and, and take what is rightfully his. They wanted political reform. They wanted a balanced budget. They wanted affordable health care. They wanted good schools for their kids. They wanted lower taxes and gas prices. Maybe not gas prices. They wanted all that same stuff that we want. And here's the thing that we know about leaders. Leaders can't carry this stuff out on their own. They need to rely on God, and they also need people to carry out these things. And so as we ask ourselves, which parade are we attending, the question really becomes, do I want to be saved by a king riding on a donkey? Is this the kind of saving I really desire that's marked by humility and giving ourselves away, giving up our rights, giving up our freedom? Or are we looking to the power of the parade? <laughs> the one that relies on law and politics of the day to save us. When the people were shouting, Hosanna, God save us, with urgency, there was a desire for spiritual salvation as there is today, but there was also their spiritual salvation was deeply connected to their physical needs. They wanted to be saved from Rome. They wanted to be saved from their oppression and saved from the occupation in their land. And, and you know, with these, these two different, different approaches and these two different parades that we see, they were really there for the same thing. They really were all there for Caesar. I mean, the Roman parade was obviously not holding back there for Caesar. The Jesus parade wanted the same thing as the Roman parade. They just wanted to put their religious lipstick on the pig. It was just their covering with their religious language and their religious expectation. They still wanted the power. They still wanted all those same things. Um, there's a guy named James Smith who wrote a book called you Are, uh, you Are What You Love. And he says that that initial question that we started off with in, in Matthew 20, where Jesus asked the blind men, what do you want? He says that question undergirds everything in Christian discipleship. It's the question beneath every question. It's the, it's the question underneath the question, will you follow me? It's the question that's underneath when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Because what we want isn't always what we think we want. We don't always want to do the work of discipleship that Jesus is calling us into at times. We don't always want to take the, the road of humility. We don't always want to take the road of, of giving up our, our rights and freedom so that another person can have theirs. I mean, think about how many, this is the part where I'm going to like make people mad. Um, think about how many organizations and, and movements there are right now that attach to their, their descriptions of their names or their language or their mission statement about freedom and liberty. Everybody wants freedom and liberty right now. But is it the freedom and liberty that Jesus offers or is it the freedom and liberty that the empire offers? And there's, you know, there, there's people who are, who are asking for things and fighting for things and they're putting a Christian label on it as, as the reason why they're doing it and they're, we're expecting people to act like Christians who aren't actually Christians. 
I mean, you open the news and you've got stories about power dynamics all over the place. And depending on where you are, what, I, what we love about Journey is that we have people from every part of the spectrum and thought, and we, we, our goal is to live in peace with each other and to have conversations with each other, right? And so depending on wherever you are, you open the news and you see something as a fight for rights or a fight for resistance on every issue, every ism, everything that's out there, right? I mean, whether it's, it's abortion, and I'm not saying anything about any of these issues, so don't read into that too much, but, but whether it's about abortion or LGBTQ trans rights or school stuff or politics or, or slogans like Stop Asian Hate and Black Lives Matter and, and all the things that are in the news, you, everybody sees it through a lens of either rights or resistance. And it's all about power. It's all about obtaining power and, and walking in power. And the question is, whose power is that? All the proponents were trusting the way of Caesar. And when the church refuses to believe that the way of Jesus works instead of choosing the way of Caesar, then you have, well, sorry, I said that wrong. When the church forgets that the power of God that the way of Jesus works in the world, we lean on the power of Caesar, and that's how you come up with, so, with culture wars. That's how we come up with all this fighting. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in our community, that we shouldn't go to meetings, that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't be a part of the, even the political scheme. We, we need to have our, our presence there, but we need to bring our presence in the way of Jesus, not the way of empire. So Palm Sunday invites us into a time of remembrance, but also a time of observance. Because we know um, how easy it is to say that we want to be saved. We know how easy it is to sing Hosanna and to cry and to weep. But it's also a time to question whether we are willing to participate in our own redemption and our own deliverance. And I mean that collectively. Are we willing to partner with God as he saves us and as he delivers us? Are we willing to go the distance with Jesus? Are we willing to follow him down the mountain all the way to the cross? So the questions as we, as we come up to, to communion, um, we have stations around the room because we, we like to call our us into participation. So as we sing, as we reflect, as we come to the table, the questions to reflect on are, um, how am I affirming God's saving power and showing up in participation with him? Which parade do I find myself compelled by? Every day. I was going on a walk yesterday, and you know all the yard signs are up, and I'm walking my dog, and I'm like Googling every candidate to see like what do they stand for, who do they back, what are all the things, and I find myself like totally getting swept up into the whole dynamic of that. And that's not to say we shouldn't be aware and we shouldn't be knowledgeable, because we absolutely should. But I catch myself like leaning into that power more than I do the power of God in those situations. And so when we come to the table, we get to have this moment today where we ask ourselves, which parade am I more compelled by? Which one am I more drawn to? There's two parades and two ways of life, and the church needs courage to believe that the way of Jesus works in the world. We need courage for that because it's hard. 
What does crying out, Lord, save us, require of us? What is it requiring of you right now? What is it requiring of you to let go of so that you can live a more cruciform life? The bread and the cup are symbols that we're invited to receive in remembrance of Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. They're symbols that we're invited to receive. The way that, that Jesus came and lived a God-embodied life on earth that he was willing to die to show us that life and power isn't found in the kingdoms of earthly power and influence and empire, but it's found in the power of humility, of forgiveness, of sacrifice, of pouring ourselves out. It's found through the operating system of grace, and it's found through love. It's a love that breaks the bonds of oppression and brings about justice. It's a love that pours out peace. It's a love that's an invitation for us to participate and join him in his ongoing work in the world. One of the other things I love about classic liturgy and, and books and prayers that are used in more liturgical congregations is sometimes on days like today when we're so used to, oh yeah, it's Palm Sunday and Easter's coming. Sometimes we run out of words. Um, and, and sometimes it's helpful to lean on the words of other people to get connected to, to where Jesus is for us. And so I know that all of us come in here with, with different views of what today is and how we feel about today, and we're all coming in here with different burdens, um, with our health, with our relationships, um, people that we love, people that we're angry with, people that we're really struggling with, um, with our work. And in all of those things, if you pay attention this week, in all of those things, if you pay attention, there's an invitation to look to the east or look to the west. And which, which, which one are you, are you going to lean towards? Which one are you going to lean into the most? This is a prayer um, for Palm Sunday that was written a long time ago. And if you close your eyes, and maybe just posture yourself to receive a little bit more and ask God to tune your heart to him. How does he want you to receive Palm Sunday today? And how does he want you to receive this week ahead and to enter into it with him? Ask God to slow your heart and your mind and your thoughts and clear out your ears for space to hear him. Now to the gate of my Jerusalem, the seething holy city of my heart, the Savior comes. But will I welcome him? Oh, crowds of easy feelings make a start. They raise their hands, get caught up in the singing, and think the battle won. Too soon they'll find the challenge, the reversal he's bringing. It changes their tune. I know what lies behind, the surface flourish that so quickly fades, self-interest and fearful guardedness, the hardness of the heart, its barricades, and at the core, the dreadful emptiness of a perverted temple. 
Jesus, come. Break my resistance and make me your home. God, we, we know when we look at these stories and scripture of old, it's easy to pass judgment on the people that we read about, the crowds, the Pharisees, the people gazing in wonder, the people who are curious, the people who are skeptical. It's easy to, to find ourselves in, the, in those stories, but your word is living and active, and it's, it's important for us now. It's, it's meant to be a part of us now. And those same people who were, who were singing Hosanna on Sunday, those same people through their unmet expectations and their hopes obliterated and crashed by Friday, we're seeing crucify him. And God, we acknowledge that we're in that crowd. We're constantly faced with a choice to follow you and the ways of Jesus and humility and grace and kindness or the way of power, of grasping, of holding on to what seems immediate and true in the moment. And so I pray that you would give us eyes to see. God, help us to walk into this week and make space for you. Um, don't let this week pass us by, God, but help us to enter in and participate, God, not only in your resurrection and restoration, but help us walk through the death and crucifixion and the suffering that precedes us that, that so that we can see, God, that you're a Savior who feels things that we feel, that knows the struggles we face, feels the has felt the temptations that we, have, that we face. But God, more than that, that you're a God who's near, that your presence is with us. And with everything that's happening in this room and every life that's represented in this room, God, you, you're not spread thin. You're with all of us. And help us, to, help us to wake up to that this week. And however that looks, help us to wake up to that and not only enjoy it, but to lean into it and to walk into it and, and, and be the life and the love and the light that the people around us so desperately need. God, what a miracle that you invite us to participate with you. You don't need us. Because even the rocks will cry out if we don't do anything. You don't need us, but, but you invite us. And it's your joy to have us participate and to feel your joy in that participation. And so I pray that for us today in Jesus' name as we come to the table in remembrance of you as an invitation from you to come and join you, God. Would you speak to us and be near to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.